You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with the growing deadly conflict overseas. Airstrikes raining down on the Gaza Strip today. Israel's response to a surprise attack launched by the militant group Hamas that started on Saturday. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres condemning Hamas, but adding he was deeply distressed by Israel's planned siege of Gaza. I recognize the legitimate grievances of the Palestinian people, but nothing can justify these acts of terror and the killing, maiming and abduction of civilians. I reiterate my call to immediately cease these attacks and release all hostages. While I recognize Israel's legitimate security concerns, I also remind Israel that military operations must be conducted in strict accordance with international humanitarian law. Civilians must be respected and protected at all times. Civilian infrastructure must never be a target. Reaction has been pouring in from around the world, including here in Canada. Several hundred people turned out for a controversial pro-Palestine rally in downtown Vancouver today. That's where we find our Travis Prasad with more. Travis. Yeah, Sophie, I'm at the Vancouver Art Gallery in downtown Vancouver. A pro-Palestine rally was held here this afternoon. You can probably see behind me there are still some people here, pro-Palestine, as well as some counter-protesters who have... Uh, Israel flags as well. Organizers of this pro-Palestine rally said it's a show of support for Palestinians who've been affected by the conflict both now and in the past. Several hundred people, young and old, gather downtown. Palestinian flags are raised as demonstrators demand freedom. This is all about trying to end the occupation and resisting, you know, our colonizers. I think we need to be in solidarity of resistance and, you know, not just in Palestine, everywhere. Similar rallies held in other Canadian cities, including Toronto and on Sunday in Montreal. But politicians at all levels have condemned the gatherings. The Prime Minister saying they're not acceptable in Canada. So we're not surprised that local politicians have yet again failed us in the Palestinian community, and that's why we're here today organizing. I think all governments uh, stand against terrorism. What we saw in Israel the other day, uh, the murder, the rape, the kidnapping of children, elderly people, women, um, that's terrorism. Rockets now raining down on Gaza as Israel unleashes one of its heaviest bombardments ever. The Palestinian territory has been cut off from power, food and water. Israel vowing to seize the Strip and wipe out Hamas after the group killed hundreds and took hostages. Back in Vancouver, there remains an increased presence of police at synagogues and Jewish community buildings. Resistance rallies like this a troubling sight for some. This isn't about Palestinian rights. I am for Palestinian rights, but I am not for this. And we have to say this has gone too far, and we need to say that it is, is not a time for glorification. And Travis, there's another rally planned for tomorrow. What are the details on that one? Yeah, another rally. The Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver will be hosting a gathering 
in support of Israel at Jackpool Plaza tomorrow evening starting around 5 p.m. They say anyone who supports the Israeli community is welcome to attend that one. And some of the people that will be there tomorrow are, in fact, here tonight behind me. We're seeing um, somewhat of an impromptu candlelight vigil happening here uh, with some of the counter protesters. They've got some artificial candles that they've lit, and they are now in the space where the Palestine rally was uh, just a couple hours ago. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Travis Prasad reporting live at the Vancouver Art Gallery tonight. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke at a solidarity rally in Ottawa this evening, not only reaffirming Canada's support for Israel, but also condemning any show of support for Hamas in this country. So let me be very clear. Hamas terrorists aren't a resistance. They're not freedom fighters. They are terrorists and no one in Canada should be supporting them much less celebrating them. Opposition leader Pierre Poiliev along with Ottawa's mayor and police chief were also in attendance at the event. There are questions tonight about just what the Canadian government is doing to help Canadians who are stuck in Israel, sheltering in place with nowhere to go. So far, Canada has not sent repatriation flights, and at this time, it's not known if that will happen. As Rumina Dea reports, that has those caught in the middle of the deadly fighting feeling abandoned. As air raid sirens roar and the body count rises in Israel and Gaza, a Canadian family hunkered down in North Israel is trapped. It's always having in the back of my mind, you know, where do we run if the bombing starts? There's a war here. People are dying. Um, you know, we just want to make sure our kids are safe. Ruslan Benko, his partner Luisa, and their two children, 10 months and two years old, were visiting family in Israel when the war erupted Saturday. The Toronto area man says his family can't get home. There are no flights to Canada. The Canadian embassy in Israel says shelter in place, which hasn't been much help, says Benko. There hasn't been uh, any level of... Uh, you know, support uh, at this time. So we just don't know what to do. Where do you go? Uh, you know, you stay closed behind closed doors and hope nobody comes to you. Or do you, you know, put your family in the car and drive somewhere? But then where do you drive and how safe it is? We reached out to the Canadian Embassy in Israel. The website says it's closed for Thanksgiving. A chatbot responded. The email conversation went nowhere. Global Affairs Canada tells us there are more than 2,400 registered Canadians in Israel and close to 500 in Palestinian territories. The department is looking into reports one Canadian is dead and three are missing. So far, the Canadian government has been silent on whether it plans to evacuate citizens like Banco and his family. We just want what's best for our kids. We just want them to be safe, like any parent, you know, and... It rips my heart looking at what's happening to some of the kids right now uh, in this country. We just want to go home. We want, yeah, you know, I, I, I think there needs to be a strategy. 
Latin American governments, including Mexico and Brazil, are mobilizing to extricate their citizens as a growing number of commercial flights have been suspended. Banco miraculously secured tickets to Italy next week, but that's a lifetime away in a war zone, an escape plan which is unlikely if the bloodshed continues. Romina Dea, Global News. And the government of Canada has issued a travel advisory to avoid all non-essential travel to Israel, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Canadians are also being advised to avoid all travel to Israel's border with Syria, Lebanon and Egypt. A former minor hockey player from the Kootenays has been charged with voyeurism in connection with the discovery of a hidden camera at a local arena last year. As Kristen Robinson reports, the accused used to work at the rink. Almost one year after a group of 10 to 13-year-old female hockey players made a chilling discovery inside a women's changing room before they hit the ice at Fruitvale's Beaver Valley Arena, a former Greater Trail midget Tier 2 Smokies player 22-year-old Garrett Charlie Chardulo has been charged with one count of secretly observing or recording for a sexual purpose and one count of making or publishing child pornography. When it initially happened, um, there, was, there was some concern for sure. It's unsettling for parents and, and everyone in the community when something like this happens. Chardulo was employed at the Fruitvale Arena on November 16, 2022. That's when the father of one of the alleged victims says the girls noticed a cell phone hidden in a crack in the ceiling. We are protecting his identity since his daughter is a minor. They noticed that the phone was actually on record. And that's when their, their mindset changed from an innocent situation to more of a, you know, somebody was trying to record us while we were in the dressing room. They were able to scroll back through um, one of the previous videos and it was, you know, it, dis it definitely showed the persons who owned the phone setting it up. The phone was turned over to Trail RCMP, who arrested the voyeurism suspect. Charges were sworn against Chardulo on September 11th. I think it brought uh, increased vigilance by parents and others involved in the arena. But I'm sure with the charges uh, being brought to court this week that uh, it'll raise people's concerns again. Beaver Valley Arena was closed Monday for Thanksgiving. The Greater Trail Minor Hockey Association declined an interview, its president stating it strongly opposes any actions or activities that put children at risk or at harm. Chardulo has a first court appearance Wednesday in Rossland. Kristen Robinson, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP are warning the public about the risks of using replica weapons, even during a movie shoot. Police received a call about men in body armor carrying rifles in an underground parking lot near Garden Avenue and Marine Drive on Saturday evening. Several officers were called to the scene only to discover the firearms were replicas and the group was filming an amateur action film. RCMP say the situation could have ended much differently. In this, this incident, you drew a large police presence. Our officers are um, basically, you know, attending that this, this is a, a real threat to the public. And until such time, we have established that there's no threat to public. Um, you know, we, we have to respond accordingly as to our training. The group didn't have a filming permit. RCMP say they educated the group on proper filming procedures in public spaces and let them go with a warning. 
A Kelowna fraudster is getting out of jail, at least temporarily. As Taya Fast reports, the Kelowna man was jailed last year for stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from the Ministry of Children and Family Development. A notorious Kelowna fraudster who stole more than $460,000 from vulnerable Indigenous youth has now been granted day parole. Robert Riley Saunders, who used to work for the Ministry of Children and Family Development, was sentenced last year to five years in prison. He was charged with fraud over $5,000, among several other charges, all relating to when he worked with the ministry. Parole board acknowledged that Saunders carried out his offenses over a six-year period, despite witnessing firsthand the struggles he was in inflicting on the young people he was supposed to protect. The board says it is aware that his offenses caused Indigenous youths to suffer while Saunders lived a lavish lifestyle and bragged about it to the youth. Saunders continues to require some level of oversight as the board believes that he does present an undue risk to society. Saunders did ask for full parole, however, wasn't able to convince the board, but he was granted six months day parole and will be required to stay in a halfway house in Alberta and follow specific conditions. Taya Fass, Global News, Kelowna. A Vancouver Island woman is calling out the new walk-on ferry service between Nanaimo and Vancouver. It's 2023. Everyone should be allowed on a public on a mode of public transportation. Why Hello Ferries won't let electric wheelchairs or bikes on board. Next on the news hour. 25.49 for 100 piece pack. The rising cost of candy and other Halloween items. How inflation is having a scary impact later. Plus Can you name that bridge? Rapper Drake films his latest music video in Metro Vancouver. That's later. First, though, a passenger ferry service between Vancouver and Nanaimo made big waves when it debuted this summer. But one Nanaimo resident who uses a power wheelchair says she's not allowed on board. As Grace Key reports, the new ferry service currently doesn't allow passengers with electric wheelchairs. Carrie Brown-John was excited when the new Hello Foot Passenger Fast Ferry launched. She can even see it from her Nanaimo home, but she was disappointed to learn she's not allowed to bring her electric wheelchair on board. I just didn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they were able to even get an operating license, really, without being inclusive for everyone. Carrie wanted an explanation. A response from Hello reads in part, Transport Canada Vessel Certification for High-Speed Craft restricts us from transporting e-bikes, electric scooters, as well as motorized wheelchairs. I can fly with either a dry or a gel cell battery or a lithium battery with the proper rating on an airplane. And what do they do if it catches on fire? Carrie wasn't buying that explanation, so she reached out to Transport Canada. Power wheelchairs must be securely stowed while the vessel is underway. We reached out to Hullo regarding your inquiry, and they have advised us they will review their policies. Hullo's response? Apologies for not providing you with the correct information. The use of battery-operated mobility units 
is actually an internal policy based on the license of our ships and the infrastructure on board. We are currently and actively reviewing this policy. The company has cited concerns with batteries catching on fire, but one disability advocate believes someone didn't do their homework. To me, I think it's a bogus excuse. I mean, to me, that was somebody uh, that's making a decision that doesn't understand electric wheelchairs. Uh, it's very different um, from scooters. Uh, electric wheelchairs, uh, they use gel cell batteries um, nowadays. They're one of the safest batteries uh, you can have. It goes onto the plane without any problem. Carrie's daughter is heading back home on Hollow after spending Thanksgiving with her mother. I just want to be able to drive on that ferry and meet my daughter downtown Vancouver, hang out for the day and drive on the ferry and come home. Carrie is hoping changes will come soon. Grace Key, Global News. Next, rethinking Thanksgiving. It's an opportunity um, to sit down and be thankful, um, you know, for everything, for, for the land and the resources that you know, Indigenous people took such great care of. Reflecting on the true meaning behind this holiday, plus. There are more people than before. Right. Giving thanks for community support, how the need is growing as food prices continue to soar. Well, for many Canadians, Thanksgiving means a second long weekend in a row. Just over a week ago, we marked the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, which also meant a day off work for federally regulated workers and for residents in some provinces and territories. That leaves small businesses coping with the costs of another holiday. But as Eric Sorensen reports, these two consecutive holidays also tell starkly different stories about Canada's past. A sure sign of Thanksgiving, a fall market, pumpkins, and plans to be with family for the long weekend. It's nice to have family back together again. You can see all the fruits, like it's amazing, the creation. But it comes just days after another national public holiday for truth and reconciliation, the overdue recognition of the trauma experienced by Indigenous people. I'm here today because my mom survived the abuse that she experienced in the school and her mom and her grandpa. It's very different from the history that was often taught about Thanksgiving. A precious seed from which will grow this colony we call New Plymouth. Early stories suggested North American colonists shared and celebrated the harvest with First Nations. The season of plenty has evolved into a wealth of fall fairs and festivals. For decades, Thanksgiving celebrations ignored the fact that Indigenous people were brutalized and their lands were taken. There's a lot of darkness, and it's important not to forget that, right? That's the whole idea of, of truth before reconciliation. It's an unusual juxtaposition, two national days, one week apart, with such different historical narratives. And then there are the economic considerations with a new holiday. In Canada, there are public holidays almost every month. Some nationwide, some provincial or territorial, not all are paid days off. But with the addition of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, a growing number of Canadians got one more paid holiday this year, right before Thanksgiving. And with Labor Day, for some, three Mondays off in a six-week span. That's not ideal for many businesses. Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says another holiday does cost the Canadian economy millions. If you have two back-to-back, uh, that can mean that, uh, that employers don't see uh, a regular week of sales for several weeks in a row. 
that obviously puts pressure on businesses, especially at a time when businesses are already under great strain. Kelly wonders if one of the other Canadian holidays with less historical significance might be taken off the calendar. But for now, Truth and Reconciliation and Thanksgiving will be celebrated just a few days apart. And given Canada's history, maybe that's a good thing. Now we can move on towards reconciliation, and that's really, perhaps that's what Thanksgiving should be, as an opportunity um, to sit down and be thankful, um, you know, for everything, for, for the land and the resources that you know, Indigenous people took such great care of for, 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 you know, many, many generations. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Well, right now, millions of Canadians are struggling to keep up with the cost of living, and that means an annual tradition is seeing an even greater turnout. Catherine Urquhart has more on this year's Thanksgiving event at the Union Gospel Mission and the people who were grateful to get a warm meal. How's the meal? Fantastic. His name is Stuart, and he graciously spoke to us after we interrupted his turkey dinner. For you personally, to be able to come here and get such a nice meal, what does it mean? Just that there are great people still in the world. Approximately 2,000 Thanksgiving meals will be enjoyed by those who attend. Preparing all that food and serving it up is a monumental job. We are serving around 2,000 pounds of turkey, 800 pounds of potatoes, 500 uh, liters of gravy. We have 100 volunteers here helping us out. It's a very busy day. Getting a good nutritious meal is more of a struggle these days, especially for the homeless and those living below the poverty line. The cost of groceries jumped 6.9% between August of last year and August of this year. Worse still, beef was up 11.9%, chicken rose 8.9%, and cereal products went up 9.8%. How's your meal today? It's great. I'm very thankful to be here and very thankful to Union Gospel for doing the turkey dinner for Thanksgiving. Alonso Canales told us he's not working right now and hadn't eaten a turkey dinner with all the fixings in a very long time. The turkey is really delicious. You feel the love. It's cooked with love. That love on full display at UGM's 34th annual Thanksgiving dinner. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Hundreds of runners took to the streets of Vancouver today for a Thanksgiving-themed race. The annual Granville Island Turkey Trot kicking off at 8.30 this morning. The 10K race taking runners who might be hoping to burn off that Thanksgiving dinner on a loop of the seawall. Some participants really got into the Thanksgiving spirit with turkey hats. One runner even dressing up in a full turkey costume. The goal of the race is to help raise funds and awareness for BC food banks. Coming up, wildfire concerns continue with an out-of-control blaze near Chetwin. Plus... We didn't get pretty much any warning. Calls for a public inquiry into the McDougal Creek wildfire response. Also ahead, reopening West Maui. Mixed emotions in the devastated region as tourism starts to resume. Well, the peak of BC's wildfire season might be over, but crews are still fighting an out-of-control blaze near Chetwind. 
The fire is burning in Lone Prairie, about six kilometers southwest, southwest of the community. Wildfire Service estimates the fire to be 570 hectares and burning away from Chetwin, but they're worried about wind in the forecast that could increase fire activity. Ground crews and two helicopters are working on the fire. No evacuation alerts have been issued, and it's believed that fire was caused by lightning. It has been two weeks since the McDougal Creek wildfire was classified as held. Now that the cleanup and rebuilding process is well underway, a West Kelowna city councillor is seeking a full independent review of the wildfire with a focus on emergency support services and how it was handled. Jaden Wozni reports. West Kelowna Councillor Rick DeYoung recently made a request for a full public inquiry into emergency support services and a notice of motion, which will be brought forward at Tuesday's council meeting. He says there were many challenges within the wildfire response and believes residents deserve a chance to share their experiences. At a recent council meeting, DeYoung said the emergency personnel, volunteers, and local residents were impacted by this wildfire. The public deserves a time to share their stories in an open, transparent forum. Sharing of these stories is part of the healing process. One West Kelowna resident who lost her home to the McDougal Creek wildfire says she wasn't given enough warning to evacuate her home. They had removed the electricity already, so the police weren't even actually able to go into our neighborhood at the time. But we didn't get pretty much any warning. It was like probably five minutes before that I got the email saying that we were finally on alert, but all my neighborhood was already gone. Given how close the flames were to their home, Labacane was hoping for better communication. I feel like they probably could have erred on the side of caution on that one and sent an alert much earlier. With that being said, I, I could see the fire out of my front window. So we had our the car packed and we were ready. It was, we were kind of more curious as to like, oh wow, I still haven't gotten it. It's still haven't gotten it. And then finally we just left. Since losing their home, Labucane and her partner have moved nine times. Her story and the stories of others are what DeYoung is hoping to hear in an independent public hearing process being launched later this year. Jaden Wozni, Global News. It's been two months since wildfires devastated western Maui. The fires killed at least 97 people and nearly all of the historic town of Lahaina was destroyed. And while many living there are still struggling to recover, some hotels are now welcoming back visitors. This here was our bedroom. For Vance Honda, the, the pain of, the of losing the home he built with his father while in middle school is still fresh. We would uh, work together and doing all the plumbing and building this structure. He and his wife Kathy raised their three children on the same property. Now when we look at the house, we see the memories of raising our kids here. They are still struggling to find permanent housing. What do you think the community needs most right now? Having a better idea of where we're going to be until we can rebuild. More than 2,000 buildings were destroyed in this fire. The majority of them were homes. Today, thousands of people are still displaced, being shuffled from one temporary location to the next. And now Hawaii's government has pushed ahead to jumpstart tourism in an effort to boost the economy and create jobs. Under the mayor's guidance, businesses, including hotels on a three-mile stretch from Kapalua to Kahana, were encouraged to open Sunday. The area of Kanapali is set to reopen in phase two, but that's where many fire evacuees have been sheltering at hotels. Because of the tourism uh, opening up, uh, a lot of the residents have to 
relocate. So it's been very difficult. There's a lot of mixed emotions. Adding to the difficulty for many here has been the conflicting information surrounding the fire and if it could have been stopped, slowed, or prevented. Who is accountable for that lack of action? I think a lot of it is complacency. Sherman Thompson is former chair of the state's Civil Defense Advisory Council. He says the ultimate decision on whether or not to sound any warning sirens belongs um, to one person. It is the chief executive of the county, and that would be the mayor. We've reached out to the mayor multiple times for comment, but have not heard back. Jonathan Vigliotti, CBS News, Lahaina. The latest COVID-19 booster shots are being rolled out this week, just as we're seeing a rise in cases in this province. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, what do we know about this latest booster and when will we be getting our invites? You know, this time next year, I think we're not going to be calling it boosters anymore. This is going to become your annual COVID-19 vaccine, just like the flu shot. More on that in a moment, uh, but it begins tomorrow. Basically, as we head into respiratory illness season, uh, thousands of people are getting notifications. Here's the latest stats as of 8 o'clock this morning. 603,000 invitations have been sent out to the first wave. Those are healthcare workers on the front lines, clinically vulnerable people, and those age 65 and plus. Uh, 27,000 appointments are already booked for tomorrow. That's just a, a number that's expected to grow on a daily basis. And pharmacies are the big areas you can get uh, your vaccination, but also worksite immunization clinics for on-site staff and home care in certain uh, cases will also be used for vaccinations. Health Minister Agent Dix today made the point, this is a new vaccine because there's a new variant out there. There's a so-called Parola variant. It's still made by the same manufacturers, but as we know more and more about COVID over time, the vaccines are going to evolve as well. Here's the minister. Both uh, Moderna and Pfizer have had their new vaccines that are target the Omicron variant of concern better uh, approved. So we'll be using those vaccines, new vaccines. I think what we're going to see is a consistent evolution of COVID-19 vaccines, just as we do a different, somewhat different flu shot every year. So speaking of the flu shot, when you do go in to get your COVID-19 vaccine, whether you want to call it a booster or not, you're also, in most cases, going to be offered a flu shot as well. Basically, two for one. And you're advised to get both as we head into respiratory illness season. Uh, we didn't have a lot of flu during the pandemic, but the flu has come back. Last year, we saw an uptick, expected to see even more this year. So there's two threats on the respiratory illness front, COVID-19 and the flu. There's also RSV, but we're still early days yet in getting a vaccine for that particular strain. We'll likely hear more on that in the weeks ahead. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Still to come, the high cost of Halloween. Candy gets pretty expensive. How inflation is driving up prices to scary levels. And up next, Hong Kong drenched by Typhoon Koinu. How the storm brought daily life to a standstill. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrewa. Consumer Matters with Andrewa on Global News. From the stories breaking right now to all the day's issues. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Hong Kong suspended trading today as the remnants of Typhoon Koinu brought heavy rains and strong wind gusts, causing the city to remain largely closed. Koinu had weakened into a severe tropical storm. 
and is tracking west across the western coast of China. Hundreds of passengers were stranded at Hong Kong's airport overnight due to the storm disrupting flights and transportation. Hong Kong's Weather Bureau has issued a landslide warning with many areas of the mountainous city at risk after the unusually wet weather. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. We talked earlier about uh, that wildfire near Chetwin, Christy, mm -hmm. and that's one of the remaining hot spots or dry spots in the province. Yeah, exactly. I, it's hard to believe because the rest of us, you know, we've had uh, some rain. Certainly today we had rainfall, but uh, not the case in through the BC Peace River area where the fire danger rating is still at a high to extreme level. And when it comes to the drought, that area, including Prince George, is at a drought level five. That's the extreme, the highest drought level that you can have. Whereas we've had improvement across the rest of the province. So we need that moisture to shift into that area. And it is starting to, it's just not going to be a ton. Let's turn our attention quickly to the temperatures. We had record-breaking temperatures on Saturday and again Sunday. Sunday, seven of them. This was the hottest one, Lytton, hitting 29.6 degrees. And I'd like to say it's breaking a long-standing record, but that's not the case anymore. With climate change occurring, the long-standing records are actually very short. It broke an old record from 2022, but it blew past it by more than three degrees. Now, we may break some records again today. We're still waiting for some numbers from Environment Canada, but just to look at at some of the other numbers across Sunday. And then again, what we saw today, we were still in the low 20s. For this time of year, that's really substantial indeed. Now, we are looking at cooler conditions now that this front is pushing off across. And you can see a little bit of cloud cover in the BC Peace River area. But as I mentioned, we'll see a few showers in that region, but not a ton of moisture. The bulk of the impact will be across the north and central coast again. So we'll see waves of rainfall as this upper level low shifts across the region tomorrow. And you can see the the breaks of blue sky and through the interior regions. Uh, some cloud cover and certainly cooler conditions for the BC Peace River area, but southern BC scattered showers. We are expecting showers, especially in the afternoon. So it'll be a bit drier if you're up early tomorrow morning. And then we're expecting the rain to begin sort of late morning and then be on and off throughout the day. Windy conditions expected as well through the Strait of Georgia. So windy down by the water. Wednesday's a transition day, a few showers in the morning. And then beyond that, we're back to sunshine. One of the reasons why we're still really concerned about the drought and through the north, that's for sure. All right, beautiful fall shot from Qualicum Beach. Richard sharing this on Twitter, and I had to grab it. Thanks so much, Richard, for that beautiful shot looking down the street there. So back to you. Love the colors. Thank you, Christy. Drake has released his newest video with scenes that you might find familiar. Take a look. Drake's video for his song, Another Late Night, featured on his new album, For All the Dogs, was released last Friday. The caption of the video claims it was filmed in two hours in Maple Ridge and the Golden Ears Bridge features prominently. Fans spotted the artist filming the video along with Lil Yachty, who's also featured on the track. They did the shoot in August when Drake was here for his Vancouver show. You're a big Lil Yachty fan, aren't you? Yeah, and I recognize those three dogs. Those are definitely from here. <laughs> The Vancouver dogs? Yeah, they're, they got the look. Got it, got it. Uh, right. Happy Thanksgiving. I keep forgetting it's Thanksgiving. Yes, I, I always wonder, I always think, is today Thanksgiving or is it yesterday? Uh, it's but age-old debate. So? Age-old debate. I don't yeah. know. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. What do you have? Well, I will tell you. Uh, yesterday, Merritt's Roger Sloan needed to sink a putt on the 18th hole of the tournament he was in to get his PGA Tour card for next year. 
but in that moment, it was just nice to be able to, to, to need a putt and, uh, and be able to do it. Yeah, he did it. So for the third time in his pro golfing career, he graduates from the tour just below the PGA, back to the PGA, where three other BC boys await his return. And later tonight, paying the price for Halloween, inflation's frightening impact still to come. Well, I, if I knew that, I would bring you some. But I, you didn't tell me ahead of time, so I have Have nothing. you ever made a turkey? No, I've never made a turkey. I've made a lot of food I can cook for myself. Have not, you made a ham? I'm not a ham guy. Okay. Yeah, not a pork guy. Anyway. Anyway. No turkey for me. Go no. ahead. Okay. I could bring you a lovely Swanson dinner with turkey in it. <laughs> I could make that for you. Okay, thanks. It wouldn't take very long either. The uh, Canucks have released their opening night roster, opening night being Wednesday. Some of the moves made got the Canucks salary compliant, salary cap compliant. One of those moves is bringing Vasily Pod Colson back up from Abbotsford. Ilya Mikheyev is going to start on injured reserve. His agent said that he's healing and should be ready soon. Akito Hiroshi and Cole McWard, both defensemen, were sent back down to Abbotsford. So... Here are the forwards in no particular order. Most of the names are familiar. The new ones, Bluger, Pugh Suter, they should help on the penalty kill. Sam Lafferty, who was brought in from Toronto, he should add a bit of grit. Now, the bigger changes are on the blue line. Philip Hironik is now healthy. He played only four games after being traded here last season. Um, Ian Cole should provide a lot of help on the penalty kill. Abbotsford's Noah Juleson, the only BC player to make the Canucks opening day roster, and obviously the goalies are Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith. Because of an injury suffered on this play last Friday, Carson Soucy won't play in the opening game, and they really don't know when he'll be ready to go. At the moment, there's no official timeline for his lower body injury. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I'd say week to week. I don't think it's too long, but it, we'd have to say, I'd say week to week right now. All right, week to week. Instead of trading star goalie Connor Hellebuck and star forward Mark Shifley, the Winnipeg Jets have signed both of them to seven-year contracts, both $8.5 million per year. Now, this is a bit of a surprise, to say the least. There was a lot of talk this summer that the Jets were going to have to trade these two and start thinking about rebuilding the team, but not anymore. They now have to build around them, which they really haven't done a great job of in recent seasons. And the Sabres made Rasmus Dahlin the second highest paid defenseman behind Eric Carlson. He signed an eight-year deal worth $11 million per season. That'll start next year. He's a former first overall pick in 2018 who really made a big leap forward last season and is now the leader on the Buffalo Sabres. Next year, there will be an entire foursome of BC players on the PGA Tour. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor and Adam Hadwin, Surrey's Adam Svensson, and Merritt's Rogers Sloan, who, like Nick Taylor, when he won the Canadian Open this year, Sloan had to make a clutch putt yesterday to get back to the big tour. So a putt for a PGA Tour card here for Sloan. And I have an eight-footer to get to the PGA Tour, and in that moment, you just you simplify it, and you're just like, there's only 
couple things that I can do, and that's just put a good read on it. What a roll. Big putt for par. Roger Sloan. And when it went in, it's just, uh, yeah, there's a sense of accomplishment for sure. I, more so on the putt than than the the totality of the whole year. I've graduated a few times. This is my third time graduating. So I know what's in store for me. Um, I know what, what awaits up up there at the big show. Uh, but in that moment, it was just nice to be able to, to, to need a putt and, uh, and be able to do it. Now Roger Sloan gets to do it once again on the PGA Tour. This after dialing it in during the final Corn Ferry Tour event where he began the weekend on the outside looking in. Sloan tying for 10th at day's end, which snuck him inside the top 30. However, the real turning point to Roger's season came a few months back when he won an event to really get the PGA ball rolling. That would do it. Birdie, birdie finish. But, you know, you, the wins don't come often, you know. Um, you know, we're so, <laughs> you know, we... You, with golf, you know, it's all about the Scotty Schefflers and the Tiger Woods and the Justin Thomases, and these guys are phenomenal players. These guys are generational-type talent, and, you know, they're able to string wins together every single season, but that's so rare, you know, the amount of golfers that are out there every year. So, you know, you it was been nine years since I won, so it was just it was a cool feeling to know that, hey, we still got it. Uh, you can still do it under pressure. And... uh I think going forward, it's going to give us a lot of experience uh, to what we're ultimately trying to achieve, and that's winning on the PGA Tour. Regaining full-time status fills out an all-BC boys PGA Tour foursome on the tee. Sloan's excited to rejoin Nick Taylor, Adam Hadwin, and Adam Svensson, where the other three all have one thing in common. You know, all the Canadian boys, I mean, we all hang out. We all do dinners together. We all get the families together. Um, there's a couple other guys too that have had long, long-standing relationships over the years being out there. Um, but you know, I definitely miss all the Canadian guys and uh, can't wait to hang out with them again. We saw a new look, Roger Sloan, on the golf course this weekend. Uh, give me a sense of uh, what we got going on here because the flow has changed. Yeah, we cut off the size, but we, you know, we left a little bit of uh, something to play with up here, and uh, it was just time for a new look. You know, it was just trying to change things up, and uh, you know, gave us some good mojo and got us in the top 30. I'm telling you, get the TV dinner. I was just told that Swanson dinners suck and Hungry Man dinners are much better. O okay. <laughs> so maybe that's what I'll have for dinner tonight. Okay. I enjoyed the Swanson dinners back <laughs> in the day myself. Anyway. Things might have changed. Up next, why you might want to hoard your Halloween candy this year. I mean, I do every year anyway. <laughs> Andrew is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. North Vancouver District fire crews have been busy this Thanksgiving weekend. Crews were called to a house fire in Deep Cove this afternoon. Nearby neighbors telling Global News they heard some bangs coming from the home and jumped into action, calling 911. The fire chief saying their quick thinking playing a major role in saving the two-story home. And a small gas station in Lake Cowichan has a tale to tell after a bear got caught shoplifting candy from the well-known local business. We'll show you all the evidence when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Ann. Well, if you haven't started your Halloween shopping yet, you might want to brace yourself for a fright that could rival any haunted house. As Cassidy Moscone reports, inflation is making the season scarier than ever. 
In 2023, Halloween is no treat for your wallet. I want you guys to see this is absolutely wild. $25.49 for a 100 piece pack. Wow. I love Halloween as much as the next person, but I don't believe in spending hundreds of dollars for something you're gonna wear one time. It's showing on social media, but also the streets. Everything's gonna be more expensive. Halloween stuff is outrageously priced anyways. I'm trying to budget elsewhere and maybe borrow costumes too from friends. South Canby parents Alan and Renita had just a few trick-or-treaters last year. Over 1,400 young people. Yeah. Yeah. Last year. And we're expecting probably the same again this year. This is our stock. Budgeting makes the shop a little less frightening. We know Halloween, Christmas, they're like spend times, right? So you see where you can cut down on in other parts uh, to make sure you have the budget. To continue to give back to the community. We're part of this community and so it's just contributing to that. And so it's a really nice feel. The reality is Halloween essentials are getting more expensive. Figures from the latest Statistics Canada CPI report show sugar and confectionery products are up nearly 11%. If you want to save money this Halloween, experts suggest shopping around. Hunt out deals, buy candy in bulk and get creative with your costume. Try DIY with things you have at home. And if you'd like to make a statement this Halloween, the spooky season, now the spending season. <laughs> Cassidy Moscone, Global News. That thing's super creepy. What? That <laughs> clown. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Do you get a Not lot of you. kids, um, Christy? <laughs> Not a thousand kids, but I would say we go through probably four large boxes of candy here. Yes, it's you, a lot. One, one each for you, uh, you and Paul, <laughs> and then the rest for the kids. <laughs> exactly. Never uh, mind that stuff. Yeah. All right. Quick word on the weather. Okay. So we've got rainfall on the way for our day tomorrow. Windy down by the water. Have a great rest of your Thanksgiving, giving everyone. Gobble, gobble, happy gobble, gobble.